Hello, God's people. Pastor Vic Borden, Redbridge Baptist Church here, bringing another message online because we're still out, as you know, with the pandemic. And so hopefully we'll be back under the same roof very soon. But in the meantime, I want to bring a special message today. So get your Bible, open up your Bible to uh, Acts chapter 4, the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. I'm a nine-year military veteran. I spent um, about four and a half years active duty in the United States Navy right at the conclusion of the Vietnam War in the mid-70s, finishing up in the late 70s, and about the same amount of time uh, on active reserve duty in the United States Air Force. Well, part of my training in the Navy and in the Air Force was the proper use of gas masks. To be sure, uh, you had to master the skill of proper gas mask use in case you went into war and there was chemical warfare. Each person in the military was tear gassed, at least the best I know back in those days. I've been tear gassed three times. Each time I was put in a room which had already been filled with tear gas, and I entered the room with my gas mask on, and everything was fine. Oh, I got little uh, pinpricks on my skin uh, and where, where uh, maybe I had recently shaved or something like that, but I was breathing just fine. Then the order came to remove the mask, and myself and anybody else who was in the room, each time we began as we took off the gas mask, by holding our breath as long as we could. I did that and everybody else in the room did that. Well, after, oh, I don't know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, however long you could comfortably hold your breath, uh, you had to to start breathing. And severe torture then entered in. Not fun. I don't recommend it. (laughs) Human nature will always struggle for breath. Why? Because breath is life. I can remember uh, back in the day when anti-smoking ads first came out, probably back in the 60s, certainly by the 70s. And they coined the phrase to stop smoking because it's a matter of life and breath. Why? Well, because breathing is synonymous with living. The two go hand in hand. And with that thought, I want us to look at Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31 for a message that I've titled, Spiritual Breathing. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And being let go, they, that is the apostles Peter and John, went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, that is, they had heard the persecution that Peter and John had experienced, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God who has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathens rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the nations, 
and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Spiritual breathing. Three primary points if you're taking notes. And the first that I want to offer is the necessity of spiritual breathing. You see, spiritual breathing is used illustratively. I'm using it as an illustration for praying because God's people are called to prayer. And nothing, um, it's not, prayer is not anything more or less than simply communing with God, of having communication with your heavenly father. John MacArthur wrote, the essence, essence of prayer is simply talking to God as you would to a beloved friend without pretense or without flippancy. So we come to him with the right heart attitude, but we come to him as if we are truly communing with a dear friend. The great Norwegian theologian and prayer warrior of a century ago, Ole Hallisby wrote, from time immemorial, immemorial, prayer has been spoken of as the breath of the soul. And the figure is an excellent one indeed. The air which your body requires envelops us on every hand. The air of itself seeks to enter our bodies and for this reason exerts pressure upon us. It is well known that it is more difficult to hold one's breath than it is to breathe. The air which our souls need also envelops all of us at all times and on all sides. God is round about us um, in Christ on every hand with his many-sided and all-sufficient grace. All we need do is to open our hearts. Prayer is the breath of the soul, the organ by which we receive Christ into our parched and withered hearts. Well said by Hallisby. So the, ne- the necessity of spiritual breathing, I want to offer a couple of subpoints about that very issue. First of all, prayer is the initial indication of spiritual life. It's the very first indication that the person has become alive spiritually. You see, when a baby is born, the doctor immediately begins looking for signs of life. And before the invention of the stethoscope to listen to the heart, listen to the lungs, the indication whether the baby was, the first indication of whether the baby was healthy or unhealthy was how the baby was breathing. You may ask, how is prayer the initial indication of spiritual life? Well, because it's through the vehicle of prayer that we express our heart to God and call upon him for salvation. For Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so whether it is 
voiced audibly or whether it is, as Romans 10, 9 and 10 indicate, the condition of the heart. There is still a reaching out in faith to the Lord, calling upon him to save you, to forgive you, to make you his child. And so it's the first indicator of spiritual life. That is, you commune with the Lord. Secondly, prayer is the continual confirmation of spiritual life. Again, people who are alive continue to breathe. So physically, breathing is a continual confirmation, an indication that there is physical life. So too, scripture is clear that saved people, the people of God, are those who communicate with the Lord, who have true communication. Oh, people throughout the ages have voiced religious words, but it's those who have the same nature as God, who have been given the divine nature, created in holiness and true righteousness. Those are the ones who truly commune with the Lord. Think about it in the physical realm. A horse doesn't have a relationship with a horse radish, (laughs) though they sound the same. A person doesn't trade correspondence with a penguin. No, they're of different natures. And so only those who have God's nature truly commune with the Lord. If you notice in our text, as soon as they could, verse 23, Peter and John related the experience that they had had to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And it says in verse 24, and they collectively lifted up their voice to God with one accord. In other words, they communicated with the one true and living God because they were children of God. He was their father. They shared the same spiritual nature. You know, you think about it, when a child, especially a small child, is very fearful or even in in severe trouble, that child is going to call out for daddy, call out, cry out for mommy. And prayer is the one, one of the primary areas where the enemy would want to distract us, to derail us, to discourage us. And practically speaking, although not taking us to hell as children of God, to destroy our uh, practical day-to-day walk with the Lord. If we would but recognize how much we need God in moment-by-moment spiritual warfare, my guess is we'd be more earnest in prayer, in crying out to him. Think, Think about the communion that you have and that God wants you to have with your Uh, living Lord and the one who loves you. Think about that in relationship to a couple, a husband and wife. Um, They desire to spend time with one another. But if one of them can go days or weeks without desiring to really commune with one another, something is uh, amiss in the relationship. It's not healthy. And similarly, Because we have the nature of God dwelling in us, the spirit of God residing within us. What is normal is that there would be spiritual breathing all the time taking place. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote on prayer, and this is a lengthy quote, 
He said, it's the highest activity of the human soul. Therefore, it is at the same time the ultimate test of a man's true spiritual condition. There's nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer lives. Ultimately, therefore, a man discovers the real condition of his spiritual life when he examines himself in private when he is alone with God. And have we not all known what it is to find that somehow we have less to say to God when we are alone than when we are in the presence of others. Oh my, how convicting is that? It should not be so, he goes on to say, but it often is. So that it is when we have left the realm of activities and outward dealings with other people and are alone with God that we really know where we stand in a spiritual sense. So, it's the first indication of life. It's the continual confirmation. That is spiritual breathing, being in the presence of God in prayer. Secondly, the second primary uh, point I'd like to draw to our attention are the qualities of spiritual breathing. Or maybe you like better the characteristics which will be operational when breathing is taking place. Think of, think of the, the physical body. The brain sends a signal to the diaphragm to contract and air comes, fills the lungs. The oxygen from the air travels from the tiny air sacs through a semi-permeable membrane, jumps on to the hemoglobin on the red blood cell, and that oxygen then is transported through our bodies and utilized. Carbon dioxide simultaneously is given off and exhaled. And it doesn't have anything to do with the scope of this message, but I wonder how evolution figured out how to do that. More on that later. There are spiritual characteristics present in prayer. Of course, the person praying must be a follower of Christ and must be coming to him consistent with the word of God in a spirit of humility. So a couple of those qualities or those characteristics. First of all, prayer, we need to understand, is instant communication. The phone line is never busy. <laughs> the phone is never out of order. That line of communication, uh, the child of God who calls upon his heavenly father with a heart of humility always gets through and gets through to the throne room. My, what a glorious thought that is. Well, the lines of communication are open if you're speaking the same language. In our text, God heard the prayer of his people because they were speaking his language, because they were praying his word back to him. They were praying not only the actual text of scripture back to him, but they were praying orthodox theology back to him. They were affirming that the word of God was truth and God honors that. He honors that prayer. The lines of communication are open when we pray God's truth back to him. Secondly, prayer is the path to confession. You say, confess what? Well, confess that he's the captain and has the right to be the captain of the ship 
as they did in our text, confess that there is mutiny when I sin, and, and I'm to confess that before the Lord, and to renounce it and to turn from it. Again, um, o Ole Hallisby wrote, it is the work of the Spirit to convict of sin. The quiet hour of prayer is one of the most favorable opportunities he has, the Spirit has, in which to speak to us seriously in the quietude and solitude before the face of God, our souls can hear better than at any other time. Now, I don't know how that mechanism works. It's a, it's a bit of a mystery, but we know Spirit of God lives, resides in the hearts of the children of God. And he brings conviction upon our hearts, comfort upon our hearts as we turn to him in prayer. It's really what Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 tell us. Search me, O God. And this is a prayer. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me or test me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so confession, repentance of sin is spiritual surgery. And when surgery happens on your body, you often go through deep breathing exercises to restore health. Well, a disciplined prayer life is one of the primary means for spiritual health. Another quality of spiritual breathing is that prayer is declaring dependence, my dependence. When I pray, I'm saying, Lord, I am dependent on you. It's the heartfelt cry of, oh God, I need you. And I can offer that in prayer to the Lord. Bible believers recognize that we don't pray through a mere mortal. We don't go to a human priest. We don't ask Mary to intercede for us or any such thing. The word of God is clear in Hebrews 4 and verse 14 that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And because of that, Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us therefore come boldly, that is with utter assurance, um, come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm, I'm reminded of the song that uh, the Redbridge Baptist Church Youth Choir has sung over the years. It's called the Table of Grace. And, 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 and here's one of the lines. It says, at the table of grace, the cups never empty. <laughs> the plate's always full and it's never too late to come and be filled with love never ending. You're always welcome at the table of grace. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord for that. Another quality or characteristic of believing prayer is that it's the means of receiving power. That is, God does a work in the hearts of his people to grant grace, to minister, to testify, to serve him. We saw that in the early church in our text, and the same is true for us today. 
Le- Leonard Ravenhill wrote in his book, Revival Praying. And, and I recommend uh, Leonard Ravenhill's two of his books, Why Revival Tarries and Revival Praying. Um, oh my, Ravenhill uh, doesn't pull any punches in those books and it, uh, it will challenge every believer who is serious uh, about having an intimate, uh, fresh walk with the Lord. He wrote, the state of praying that we seek is free from all personal request or personal benefit. We are seeking a love for the will of God among men, for the manifestation of the power of God among men, and for recovery of the glory of God among men. Folks, I want something supernatural to be happening in my life all the time, which can't be explained by human reason, human effort, human ingenuity, but something only that God can do. I once read of a contrast between the early church as described in Acts chapter 4 and the modern church. You'll notice in verse 31 it says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken. The modern version is when they had paid, the place was taken. You see, much of the so-called blessing in today's church certainly must be by human effort and not God's power. How do we know that? Well, because it is not first and foremost, seemingly, giving God all glory and absolutely dependent on him. It doesn't seem to fit the characteristic of what William Carey, the father of modern missions, said when he said, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. And the operative words there are for, it's for him, it's under him, it's by him, it's because of him, and expect from him as the early church did. The fifth quality that I want to offer is prayer is expressing adoration. Jesus said that genuine worship is only expressed in spirit and in truth, John 4, 23. That is, it's not mechanical and it's consistent with biblical theology, but it's offered from the hearts of those who have been captured by the Lord. And so prayer is one of the primary vehicles God uses for us to express our love and devotion to him. That ought to characterize every uh, believer's prayer life. And so, in conclusion, this was a, a barely skimming the surface of biblical prayer, spiritual breathing. But I want to ask you, how is your spiritual breathing today, right now, in these days? Is your prayer life consistent, fervent, vital, fresh, expressing dependence on the Lord, wanting his glory alone, being empowered by him, comforted by him, convicted of sin when sin is in your life? Or would you say, Pastor, uh, my spiritual breathing, I'm experiencing a little bit of shortness of breath. I even have a little bit of spiritual emphysema where I can't catch my breath. What do you do? Well, 
if you believe, as I do, prayerlessness is sin and that you confess any and every sin, repent of it, turn from it, then do that and commit afresh and anew, even right now, to fervently seek God, as did the early church, and great power visited them to the degree that the book of Acts says they, the world was turned upside down with the gospel. Oh, to have that type of spiritual power in our day, in our lives individually, in the life of his corporate church. May we seek him all our days through spiritual breathing.